We're in Acts chapter 24. Read along with me. Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and certain orator named Tertullius. Tertullus. They gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, <coughs> Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity as being brought from this nation by your foresight, we accepted always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we tried to seize him, and we wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding that his accusers come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things in which we accuse him. And all the Jews assented, uh-huh, yeah, 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 uh-huh, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things in which they accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way in which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things that were written in the law and in the prophets. I hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of, of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a tumult. They ought to have been here before you to, to object if they had anything against me, or else let them that were here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement in which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Now when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings, and he said, well, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision in your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty. And he told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now when he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he answered, Go away from me now. When I have convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Pray with me, would you please? 
God, I thank you so much for the beauty of your word. I thank you that your word is active and alive, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the intent thoughts of our heart. And God, I just pray today that you would cut. Thank you that you don't say that your word is tougher than a bludgeon, that it's more thick than a club. Because we don't need to be smacked, we need to be cut. We need those things in our lives that don't belong to us to be cut off. We need those things, God, to be surgically removed that don't belong to us anymore. And so, God, I pray today, Lord, that you would cut. Make the incisions where necessary, perform the surgery where, as you are the perfect physician, make the surgery that is necessary for every one of us individually, right where it needs to be. And God, I just pray for everyone here, first of all, if there be any who have yet to know you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night of their salvation. I pray that tonight, God, that every one of us would encounter you. For those who have said yes to you, that tonight, Lord, would be the night where we could say, I've been brought deeper and more meaningfully to Jesus than I've ever been. God, you know what our needs are. You know what we're struggling with. You know where we find strength. You know where we feel weak. Lord, you know which things we boast that we shouldn't. And those things, Lord, we don't claim that we should. And God, I just pray tonight that you would minister now. And God, I pray, please, that for every one of us, we will walk out of here more strengthened, more blessed, more sure, more encouraged, more equipped, more challenged, more ready for everything you've ordained for us. So, Lord, now have your way. Minister to every one of us. Now, Lord, for you to do that, you don't need me. You could use a donkey. You could use the carpet. But thank you for the blessing of using me. So, Lord, I just, I just consign myself to you now. So, Lord, immerse me in your spirit that you would appear. Lord, please, overflow out of me by your Holy Spirit. Pour upon me your Holy Spirit to do through me what I cannot humanly do. That you would speak in these minutes remaining. You would speak, Lord, and that we would interface with you now and be permanently changed as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say from which you test all things to be true. Or false. It's been a rough road for Paul. We can see here it's been 12 days. In those 12 days, 12 days ago, less than two weeks ago, Paul was in the temple in Jerusalem. While he was in the temple in Jerusalem, if you remember, there were some Jewish people that had lived in Asia, more than likely from Ephesus or the region nearby. All that, that western coast of Turkey in those days was called Asia Minor. And they made an accusation, and the accusation was that Paul had brought a non-Jewish person, Goyim, we call him Gentile, into the area that wasn't allowed for a Gentile to go. The outer court was reserved for those Gentiles, but there was a wall for which no Gentile was to go. Now, we don't read that the majority of the crowd even got all the information All we know is that if you heard somebody screaming that, the key buzzwords would be Gentile temple, and that would be enough. Paul has been out now, if you think about it, for about 16 years. 
And being out that long, it's more than likely Paul has developed a little bit more of a European look. I was told that when I returned to California this last trip. Of course, people told me that before I left. Funny, I come here and people say, you're a Californian, so I can't lose. Anyways, in that, I wonder how many people thought he just was a Gentile by that point. But the people start beating him to death. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't anticipate showing up at church and getting beat to death. But Paul had been told in at least 14 different cities before that by the Holy Spirit that chains and imprisonment awaited him. But it never stopped him from going. The man was determined. And there in Jerusalem, he gets one chance speaking Hebrew. The guard thinks he's actually Egyptian, which tells me that he doesn't think the guy looks Jewish either. And in that then, Paul speaks in Hebrew to the people and they listen while he tells them about Jesus as Lord, as Savior. And to be honest, they listen seemingly patiently until he brings about the point that God would want to save every human being, not just the Jewish person. And at that, they go mental. And then Paul has to be rescued by the Roman soldiers. Paul has been put then in an Antonio fortress, which is just on the side of the temple. And then a plot is determined by men, if you remember, who initially would not, what? Do you remember? Eat or drink until they've killed Paul, which later gets modified to we will not eat because the drink thing seems like, yeah, I'm tired of waiting, I'm thirsty. Well, of course, by this point, they're getting really hungry because as a preemptive move, the commander sends Paul out of of the Antonio Fortress in Jerusalem. They stop in Antipatris and then make their way to Caesarea, which is where Paul is here. And, of course, the whole thing is, what in the world do we do with Paul? He's committed no crimes that we're aware of among the secular world, but everyone wants to kill this guy. And you know, there is something about a world that doesn't call upon the name of the Lord that has no clue what in the world to do with you if you're a Christian who really loves Jesus. It's hard enough for Christians to know what in the world to do with you. Nonetheless, the rest of the world, they don't even get where you're coming from because your citizenship is in heaven. And get that, they kind of look at you, and let's, let's just be honest, let's just be honest. If you didn't have any understanding of the scripture, and I tell you this, I'm in love with a man, but I'm not that way. And this particular man lived thousands of miles away from me, thousands of years ago, but I talk to him every day. And he loves me. He knows everything about me. Oh, he's God. And he died. And now he's not dead. People murdered him. But he offered his life. And then he got sucked into the sky. And one day soon, whoop, he's going to suck me into the sky too. And I'm going to disappear from you. That's got to sound mental if it weren't true. 
And when you, you know what the funny part is? We say it with a straight face because we know it to be the truth, but a person looks at us and they kind of blink and it's like blink, blink, cricket, cricket. They don't get it. And understandably, because that information is spiritually discerned information. And in that, how do I explain that? And that's what the, sort of been what we think is the burden of the church. How do we kind of create little pantomimes and, and flannelgrams and, and cartoons and things for people to better understand the idea of selfless love? Because we haven't a reference here on earth without it. And especially these days. And in all of that, understand people don't know what to do with Paul and people don't know what to do with you either. But Paul's... He's, he's turned up, man. This guy, the flame isn't just something you see the little blue on. This thing is a forest fire at this point. I mean, we're looking at something that's big and hot. And, and that's where he is. And so he's now moved. He's moved 75 miles away from Jerusalem. And still in this, the guy's got to wait. But he doesn't know what to do with him. He can't let him loose because he's a Roman citizen. And if he lets him loose and the guy gets killed, it's on this guy's watch. He's responsible for that individual. But on the other side of it, you really can't hold him in prison because there's no charge. What a tough place to be. There's like no really good answer. So he's waiting for the guys to show up to accuse him. And that's the classic point in all this, and that's where we're at. But let me set the scene about some things you might forget. We are now in Caesarea. What do I know about Caesarea? Three vital pieces of information about Caesarea. Number one comes from Acts 10. Because in Acts 10, there was a certain man that God personally spoke with. His name was Corny, well, more elongated, Cornelius. Cornelius, does anyone remember what Cornelius was or is at this point? He's a centurion. He's not just a soldier. Listen, he is a centurion. That means he is a soldier responsible for a hundred other soldiers. He's been elevated to a place of authority in the Italian regiment. And he is, listen, a centurion in Caesarea who had called his family and friends over when Peter went over there to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ for which then the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they speak in other languages. You ever wonder if any of them spoke in English? Wouldn't that have been weird? And they'd say, oh, that's a dead language. Ha, 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 where's Latin now? Anyways, so with all of that said, so you have that. That's my first. Second is, Paul, on his way, on one of his trips, had stopped, by the way, in Caesarea and stayed with the church there. That's my second thing. And that's kind of a fun thought. So wait a minute. If I have this right, I have in chapter 10 that there's Cornelius. That's the centurion in Caesarea. I have in chapter 18 that he visits the church that is in Caesarea. And in chapter 22, Paul, remember, visits Philip the Evangelist with four virgin daughters who prophesy. Let's put all that together. You're visiting, now think of Caesarea like a borough. And you're thinking you're going into an ungodly place where sort of everything kind of hits. So think of like, think city of London, borough, that idea. And there, while you're there, you're going to go and you're into the sort of the political capital. This is where all of this sort of laws are made or aren't. I mean, we can move that over if you went to House of Parliament, but let's just humor me for its size. And then in all of that, in this place, you tend to think this is a really ungodly place. I'm going to be stuck in a prison. I'm waiting for people to accuse me. But in this place, what we read, remember here, is that the governor gives permission 
for all of his friends who, if, if, if you're a friend of Paul, you can visit him anytime you want to. You can provide for Paul anytime you want to. And I think, well, who else do we have in the town? Well, look at the text with me again. Starting in verse 1, it says, After the five days, Ananias the high priest came down, and we have this particular showdown. Now, by this point, the religious group has realized that they don't know how to speak secular law jargon. Have you gotten that? So what do you do? You hire a lawyer. That's what Tertullus is. Interesting, do you know, it would be weird if you did, do you know what Tertullus means? His name means thrice hardened. Isn't that a great name? And I don't mean to pick on anyone, but it's a great name for a lawyer, but it's a great name for a guy like this who seems to be just taking the information, isn't really interested in anything else, and here he is to present his case. And notice, by the way, for what it's worth, a law in sort of sucking up. That's verses uh, 2 and 3 and verse 4. Did you notice that? It's like, look at how wonderful you've done, great job you've done, but notice and don't miss this, what he says that this man Felix has done so well at. Notice it says in verse 2, they give evidence against Paul. Literally, they're giving testimony against Paul. Verse 2, it says that he was, Tertullus began his accusation saying, seeing that we enjoy great peace and prosperity. Have you noticed that? The two things that they are holding the leader of the car of this area responsible, the political leader responsible for are the same two things that people today are looking for. They are the two main topics in politics. The first is economics, that's provision, and the second is global security, that's protection. Are they not the key issues? Imagine if you were a really great person, you had a wonderful family, you had tremendous moral and ethics, everybody knew you was a really decent and upright person, everybody would say this is the nicest, decent, wisest person you ever met, but you had no platform in the area of economics or world security. Nobody would give you the time of day if you were running for an office. And the reason I say that is it has always been this. The question is, which one of these two is ultimately going to win? If these two were in a battle so that one was going to be the most important, do you know which one is going to by the end times? Listen to this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.13. It says, For in the day that people say, peace and safety, which one of the two things is going to become the most important? Security, safety, protection. And the reason is that God makes clear That without his hand of blessing upon individuals, you lose the three things that God offers that he said all the way back when he spoke to the Israelites as he delivered them out of the land of, of Egypt. And that is his provision, his protection, and his presence. That's what God wants to offer every one of us in, listen, 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 in our obedience. Now God says, look at this is a push-pull thing here. I've laid, I'm going to lay my law before you and I ask for your obedience. I demanded for these things. You don't have to obey. If you obey, I will give you my rains in the earlier and latter seasons. That rain, by the way, will provide your bread and that bread, the, the rain will also provide grain for your animals. Your animals will be well fed. You'll have many animals. You'll have much grain, so you'll have much bread, so you'll be well fed. So what do we see? In obedience, you get God's provision. He says, and I will also keep you that all the enemies will live in fear of you. They will quake at your name. That's God's protection. He goes, and I will be with you. And to be honest, 
If God gave me complete safety and he gave me total provision, so I was filthy rich, and in that filthy rich I felt like I was completely safe everywhere I walked, but I didn't have the presence of the Lord in my life, it would be worth nothing. And yet what's interesting is some people, when you ask them what heaven is, that's what heaven sounds like. It's just total peace and prosperity. But if you could have all of that stuff, if you could have all of the benefits of this world, rivers of wine, as Muhammad would say, or whatever it is, but let me think about it. If you felt like you never had a disease again, you were never sick, you never got tired, all of your food was cooked the way you liked it, you know, and the sun only went down when you said it went down, and when it did, it was only so you could have a moonlight stroll with whoever it was you wanted, or whatever the case is, and all of the things that you thought could, but if God wasn't there, would it really be heaven? I mean, we say that here in this room, but do we live that way? And this particular individual, he knows to play the political card. It starts by saying, look at the two things you've done for us. You've provided and you've protected, which says in essence, Felix, you've done a really good job of replacing God. The odd thing is, not that this man is doing this, but that this man is doing this for the religious group. That's the sad part to me. I would expect this if it weren't people that were making claim to God. But these were the Jewish people who have such a problem with Paul because of their religious beliefs. And yet they've hired a guy that starts by saying, you've done such a good, good job of providing for us. How would it feel for me being the guy who hired him? Saying, look at how you've provided for us. Look at how you've protected us. I think, how strange. That's how far one will go in a point like that. Paul won't do that, by the way. And so what does he say? His accusation, notice, by the way, is in verses 5 and 6. And in that, for, what, for this, listen... There was a fourfold accusation, and I've got to let you know, as I look at these accusations, I ask myself, could these charges be laid against me? Because to be honest, I mean, who wants to be accused? Who wants, to, you know, someone saying, well, you're this and you're that. But, but in the end of it all, could I have these things? Could, do I live the kind of life where someone could trump these charges against me? Well, here's what they are. The first one, by the way, verse 5, it says, we found this man a plague. Well, you go, okay, who wants to be called that? I mean, there's no warm fuzzy, there's no positive connotation you can bring to the word plague. It isn't like, oh, there's a plague of smiles. Oh, look, there's a plague of checks that are coming through. You use better terms than plague. But in the simplest sense, what is a plague? Well, for the most part, in its original term here, it's the idea of something tremendously infectious. And that's the first thing. Am I really infectious? Now understand, every one of you is contagious in something. You will either be contagious in something that people will want to do or be like because of you, or you'll be infectious in something that they will want to not do because of you. It's like either, you've probably heard said, you're either an example or a warning. Now, for instance, if you're married and people hang around with you, sooner or later, single people that are near you are either going to want to never get married or they're going to they're gonna get that, oh, I wish I was married. Now, as a married person, neither one of them is really cool to have around you, but the second one's better. Does that make sense? If you hang around with people who are out there in the party lifestyle, it is amazing. I mean, think about it. The way they brag about things that it's insane to listen to. You think it's weird for us to talk about Jesus? I, 
I just poured a bunch of poison in my body last night. Oh, and then I did things I don't even remember. Okay. And then I got this bruise and I think I got a tattoo. I think it's a tattoo. And then I threw up all over myself. It was so awesome. And then I laid down and I think I was next to somebody and I could have a disease. And you know, awesome. Do you want to come hang out with me tonight? And now, does that not sound stupid? Right. What's amazing is people are like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oi, 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 right? How, how did that happen? But think about that. As a Christian, I listen to that, and it's like, blink, blink, cricket, cricket. Did that sound good to you? Because that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. But it's out there. And you know what? It's even on advertising. It's like, come party your brains out and come get blank-faced and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, out there, come sin and decadence. Now, why is it like chocolate can't be heavenly? It's decadent, you know? And spicy things have to be attributed to the devil. I mean, in the end of it all, I like spicy things, but I'm not going to hang out with Satan to get them. And, and the reason I say that is somehow the world is propagating that fun is Satan, fun is the world, and Christianity, at best, you guys just be nice to each other, pat each other on the heads and get wings later and become little naked babies with harps. I mean, that's what we get. Who wants to join that club? But in the end of it all, which one of them, listen, listen, which one of them is being contagious? Wasn't this the country? Beloved, wasn't this the country that was contagious to the rest of the world? Wasn't this the country that it was like somewhere down the line, something got hit and it's like evangelists went all over the world? How did, all of a sudden, where did that flip? You know, there are clubs, by the way, called the Loners Club. Is that the weirdest thing you ever heard? We all not get together and don't hang out. How do you have a Loners Club? There's now the Atheist Church. You've probably heard about that. It's like we all get together and talk about how we don't believe in God in a building that used to be built, was built for that. It used to be a church. And the reason I say all of that is, is where's the contagion? How about you? Can I dare say there's no middle ground? You're either given or getting. Now here's the thing. I'm not telling you squirt out, pump out, strive out, force out, contagion. Because that seems kind of crazy. Well, it is. What I'm asking you to do is get infected with Jesus. I'd like to challenge you. You can't overdose on him. Try. That's my challenge. Try to overdose on Jesus. See what happens. People will say, well, then you'll be so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. Can I say, if you're not heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Because if you don't have heaven on your mind, all you've got is earthly mind and you're just as bad as the rest of them. Now, can I remind you? Listen, listen. This is the image. I'm praying about this this week. And I get this image. Now, I'm not the kind that's like, I have a dream of, you know, I saw this thing floating in it. Because sometimes I would think it was probably the pickle I had. But, but I try to pray through these things. And I get this image. And here's the image. The image is, is that every person is drowning. And we're in this big area, this big, this sort of big area with lots of water, because that's where people drown. And, and as everyone's drowning, God strapped on you the red shirt with the big lifeguard thing and the little bullfrog on your nose. I mean, coming from California, you kind of get the idea, and the goofy hat. And, and all of that. And what happened is you kind of looked out there, and you took five steps into the water, and you see these people. And somewhere in this point, something starts to change. Before this point, standing away from an all distance, which I think is where we're at right now here in church, 
I think we can look at those people and we can really see it as us and them. We're sitting on a perch and sitting on this perch. We're not in the water. And since we're not in the water, we can look. And as the people are drowning, we can go, that's really terrible. But the moment I get off of this perch and I forget my job is to pull them out, and I get out here, and as I get out here, some people don't want to get saved. Have you learned that? And that's the weirdest thing. So you get into the water, and all of a sudden something changes. Because as you start to get in the water, here's the image that I'm seeing. All of a sudden you start to see that you're the only one with a red shirt on. And that's a little embarrassing. You're also the only one that can swim. And that's a little embarrassing. So maybe you go to a person and you're like, can I pull you out? You look like you're drowning. And they're like, get away from me. Who do you think you are, Mr. Swimmier Than Thou? And you, know, you go to the next person and go, please, please, can I pull you out? And they're like, who are you to judge to tell me I'm drowning, right? And, you know, and it's like, get away from me. I don't want you to tell, to learn about my, you know, this is a secret. Secret, you're drowning in front of me. I can, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? And sooner or later, you, you start to look around. And as you look around, you go, um... I'm the only one in here who can swim. And there's like one of me and there's like everybody else. And so you get so intimidated, you start to act like you're drowning. Because you don't want to stick out. Because what happens is that the people over here that are drowning start the drowners club and they make fun of you because, huh, you stupid, up above the water, face out in the air, breathing real air, stupid, who do you think you are, goofy stuff on your stupid, and, and you kind of go, ah, uh, okay, and you know, and then there's, but there's somebody who hasn't left his perch here, and that's God, and God looks down and he goes, that's stupid. Because it is. Because every step you took, there was somebody else, the guy who was pushing all of these people down, that was telling you that you should do that too. And so somewhere down the line, you're like, well, you're not really equipped to save. You can't save them. That person's probably going to say no anyways. Can I just say, if I say no, if I don't ask them, they're drowning. If I ask them, maybe they'll drown. Do you hear the difference? But they're like, well, that person will probably say no. Well, they're already living in the no before I ask them. And here's my question again. Are we contagious? Here's the cool part. Can I say, I think we are. But I don't think we are as much as we could be. And here's the thing. It isn't like, you know, there's, there's two things that it really takes to be contagious. Number one, you have to be really, really infected. And the other thing is you have to be in contact with other people. Because if you're actually really, really contagious, but you live in a closet, you're con- then your clothes might get sick. But the only way, and it's like, but you know, it's like, do what everyone else does. Only do it for something good. What everyone else does is they get really sick and then they ride the tube. <laughs> right? And you're underground and, <laughs> and you can't move because you're jammed between six large people and they all have their, you know, evening standards out. So you're like trying to hide behind them for the spray. But, but in that, it's like, what if you were like that with Jesus? Not the <laughs> part, but you were like, hey, you know what? And, and even if that starts with a smile. And people just see, wow, you're really different, aren't you? And you're like, and you, and, now listen, you're, you're really, really different. And you're here going, do I, do I want to be different? I want to say, yes, you do. 
because you're the only living thing in the morgue, so you really should be different. Imagine if the coroner, the guy that's responsible for handling all those dead bodies, felt the pressure, the peer pressure of everybody else in the room. So what did he do? He just laid down on a slab, pushed himself into one of the things and stopped breathing because everybody else isn't breathing. Why should he? Imagine if you were a doctor. You were put in the hospital on a pneumonia ward. And everybody there was having a hard time breathing. Everyone's being put on those kind of things, those nebutizers, you know, where you have to breathe into the things and all that. And the doctor kind of looked and he went, you know, everybody else is sick here. I really feel kind of, I should get sick too. <laughs> I mean, they're going to look at me weird. I don't wear, I don't dress like them. I don't have that thing that flies open in the back, you know. And, uh, you know, I am actually fully clothed and... You know, and you know, and I, I got, you know, I've got an education, and I'm, you know, and I've got things to administer to help people, but they don't have that. They, they have a remote. I should probably just sit. There's a bed, I think, on the third floor, 310, and I'm going to sit in there and just watch TV like the rest of them do. Wouldn't that be sad? You're in a retirement home. Everyone's 95. They've all fought in a war somewhere, and they all like to talk about it, and they pull out their teeth. But you're 30. And you're supposed to be handing them Jello and their, administer their medication. But you feel peer pressure because everybody else is. So you yank out all your teeth because nobody else has teeth there, right? Then you try to, you wrinkle up your skin the best you possibly can. You gain a lot of weight and then lose it. And then, and then after all of that, then what do you do? You sit there and wait for someone to bring you Jello, but no one's there to bring you Jello because that was your job. And, and look at, okay, I've beat the point, but you get it. God wants us to be contagious, but here's the good news. The, the, the living being, the pathogen, is God's Holy Spirit. The pathogen is God. And the more that I hang out there, the more contagious I'm going to be. And that's only my first of the four accusations. And if I develop them, develop them they're all like that, well, then we'll be here till the morning. All right, so here's the second one a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world. And you think, well, that's terrible. God doesn't want us divided. Can I say this? According to Corinthians, it says divisions must occur so that those that are actually approved may be clearly seen. Now, I'm not telling you you divide people. God has never intended to divide family. He's intended to divide family from other things. And you have a door for a reason. And here's the easiest way to put it, is that what Christianity is, in a very physical sense, is a single wall and a single door. And that single door is Jesus. And anyone who's willing to go in that door, the way, the truth, the life, is family. In there, the enemy would say, well, where do you stand on end times? Do you stand or do you sit? Do you raise your hands or do you not? Do you wear a tie or do you not wear a tie? How long is your hair? Do you sing first part? Do you sing tenor? Do you sing bass? Because guys sing that higher than that. I'm not really sure. You know, it's like all of the things that we start talking about, you know, do you wear a hat in church? And if you do, ooh, is that sacrifice? I hope not. It's cold in here. Anyways, you know, I mean, and the reason I say that is, do we walk through that same gate? We walk through that same gate. But that wall, there's still a wall, and that wall separates because there are other people on the other side that say, look at, look at, this is what London is telling you. You have faith. You're religious. You're spiritual. Isn't that great? No. The only thing that's great about being spiritual is God's Holy Spirit. The only thing that's great about being religious is Jesus Christ. The only thing great about having faith is putting it in the gift of Jesus Christ at the cross. Every person has faith. I have faith in what? In my watermelon. 
I pray to it every day. You're so green and seedy and full of water. And if I roll it, it's living water. I'm, and you go, you're nuts. But you have faith. Good on you for having faith. No, look it. There's a lot of stuff out there that's spiritual, but let's be honest, that doesn't make it good. And the reason I say that is here, we don't, like, don't, don't offend those people. No, 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 no. Someone's going to say, you know what you are? You're intentional. You're really intentional. And in your intentional, you draw a line. And boy, we don't know about that. And the bottom line is Christians need to draw a line. We don't need to draw a line between each other. We need to draw a line and say, this is what Christianity is, and this is what it isn't. And we need to make sure that people understand first what it is, not what it isn't. Because if you understand what it is, the isn't becomes pretty clear. What it is is that every human being is a sinner. We're not naturally born decent and right. We're born sinners. And then because of that, God as a perfect judge must punish all sin. And that's either you paying for your sin or somebody who doesn't have sin paying for you, which disqualifies the rest of us because we all have sin too. So the only one qualified to pay for it is Jesus, is God. And so God clothes himself in flesh pays the price on the cross, dies just like anyone would because the wages of our sin is death, raises from the dead, this is how you like me now, and then in that offers the gift. That's your gate. It's not good works. Dead people don't do good works. You'd say, well, he's been dead for 15 years. That's really great. We've been using him for a doorstop. Congratulations. We prop him up, he holds the window open. Good, because if he's dead, you probably need an open window. But in it, he's still dead. And we think, well, I do all of these good works, but all of those good works are still a dead person doing good works. That doesn't mean you're living. Only God can give you life. And you must be born again. And the reason I say that is, is that can we be accused of being that definitive, that intentional, Because let's face it, we don't want to offend people. But listen, can I just say, I would rather offend you with the truth than massage you into hell. If you, look at, we all start on this side, and this side is, everyone's a sinner. Here is the gift of Jesus Christ, and either you accept the gift of Jesus Christ, and you are now saved, or you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and you're not saved. Well, I mean, Pastor Tony, are you telling me that someone that believes in Muhammad that hasn't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ isn't saved? Yes, I am. Are you saying that a person that worships their ancestors or rubs the belly of a golden Buddha isn't saved if that's all they do? Yes, I am saying that. Isn't that cruel? or No, it's kind to tell you the truth. But notice, I want you to know first what I stand for, not against. Now that you know what the offer is, and they'll say, well, how could a decent God make a place like hell. And I'd say, well, how could, a, how could a God not be decent who sent his son to die for you so you wouldn't have to go there? God made it simple. There were only two choices. God knows. It's smoking or non-smoking. It's your choice. Jesus Christ is the option from which you can either choose to walk eternally with him, starting now or not. And that is a single drawn line. Is that offensive? Maybe, but that doesn't make it untrue. So let me ask you, what about you? Can we be accused of being intentional? Third thing, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. A ringleader, what does that mean? I love that term, by the way. When you think of a ringleader, what do you think of? Well, where is there a ringleader? Is there a ringleader at Wall Street? Is there a ringleader at the 
bus stop. The circus. Now think about that. That's the guy that points you to the strange attractions. Isn't that what he does? No, notice here the flying Zambini brothers. They're going to go from one trapeze to another, swing around for a little bit, and land on the dancing bears. And then they're going to go and hoist themselves up, set themselves on fire, and throw themselves through a little golden ring. That's weird. And the guy says, look at the weird thing to draw your attention to. And guess what? Can I just say, I get to be a ringleader, and so do you? Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you about the crazy person who used to beat up people for a living, who was crazy mad with drugs, that God has transformed. The person who, who didn't do all of that, but actually gave his life to Jesus Christ as a kid singing his sinner's prayer. Are they not crazy events? But the world is looking for those things. Somebody's presenting the evidence, and guess what? You get to be it. And I'm initiating. To be a ringleader, I must initiate. I'm not going to go, oh yeah, I happen to see that you were noticed that you were walking, you were watching the bears driving the motorcycles. But he's going, look it, I'm initiating. Come and see this with me. Come and see this. Come and look with me. And can I ask you, are you an initiator? Are you still waiting for somebody else to make it happen? Are you willing to take that step out and say, you know what, I, I warn you, if you get me talking about you guys, you could be with me all day. Because I love talking about what God's. And now I'd rather you speak in vague things so that I don't throw out your laundry, but I love talking about, like, there's this one person, and this is what they've gone through, and this is what Jesus did. And I just, I could stare at him all day because of the glory of what God's doing in him. Or there's this individual who was about to kill himself and they were caught, hung up in prostitution or in drug use or, or whatever, but God so got a hold of them. Man, you got to come to our fellowship sometime, not because I'm working off a commission, I don't, but because I think you would find Jesus in a place where you see such obvious evidence. God's called you to be that, friends. Are you an initiator? Listen, am I infectious? Am I intentional? Am I an initiator? And then the last of them, he even tried to profane the temple and we seized him. We want to judge him according to our law, but we couldn't. That guy, what meanie, that commander. The last thing is, he was an inviter. At least that's what he's accused of. And it's true, Paul was an inviter, though he didn't, we don't have any record that he ever brought a Gentile beyond that point. But it seems like Paul was always inviting people in. I want to challenge you. A church can be so clean it's filthy because what a church is supposed to be is contagious. And if we really believe that Jesus, listen, if we really believe that God overcomes evil, if we really believe that truth overcomes lies and that light overcomes darkness, how in the world should we be afraid? And in this, we think somehow if we could just monastically hide ourselves in a corner, what, well, we're going to wait till the world gets better some other way? We're the only doctors on the planet. And he's called us to invite. And you know what? I'm not guilty because someone says no. But I want to be innocent enough to know that they've been invited. Give someone the decency to say no. To know that there's a choice to be made. The rest of the chapter goes very quick, which you'll be pleased with perhaps. But, but notice, in all that, what Paul basically says is, now look it, can you prove any of that? Let me ask you. Was I causing trouble when they did this? 
Let me remind you, they tried to beat me to death. Notice Paul never even pulls that card. He doesn't say they were beating on me or anything. He says, look it, I didn't have a crowd. I didn't start a riot. I was purified. I did all of these crazy things that the Jewish people demand of me. I did everything to the T that was necessary and beyond. I went to the farthest lengths of discipline to not be. Let me ask you this. Where are the bruises on their skin? That's what I would have done. Paul didn't. If they're the victims, and notice, by the way, notice how Lysias came and took them. Like, they're the victims. And I think everyone's going to do that. You know, you're the victim. And they'll tell you, you know what? Because Christians are trying to take over the world. Can I just say this? Let's be honest. Yes, we are. Wouldn't you love to take over the world? Not like you're the ruler. I want, to take, I want the Jesus to take over the world. Would you, let me ask you, would you like the entire world to be Christians? Let me ask you, do you think God does? And we're supposed to have his heart? I think God wants every human being saved. And so I look at a person and I'm like, I don't care how whacked out or crazy or how satanic you think you are at the moment. At least you're honest about it. But let me tell you, God still wants to save you anyways and he wants to get rid of that guy and give you someone so much better. So since with all of that said, so listen to this. You can confirm all of this. And this is, but listen, Paul takes this as an opportunity, listen, not to defend himself, but rather to preach the gospel. And that's where this gets beautiful. He's like, look it, if you really want to try to talk about all the things I did or didn't do, let me ask you, I didn't have a crowd, I didn't start a riot, I didn't do anything, they were beating me half to death, so I'm the problem? Figure that one on your own. But let me tell you what this, if this is what the accusation is, I will say I'm guilty. And that is that I believe in the Bible And I believe the promises that the Bible made that there was a deliverer that was going to come and his name is Jesus. What Paul did in that moment is he had a rare opportunity with this guy. And this guy, I remind you, was the governor. Felix, by the way, means happy or pleased. And in that, he kind of looks at the guy and he goes, let me just tell you, if this is what I'm guilty of, listen, could we even, even, could we even do this? Could we even be the one if someone says, do you really believe that Bible? Could you say guilty? You really believe that God created things in six days? If he made it out of nothing, is it really that difficult? Well, do you really think that God was scrambling for millions of years to figure out how he was going to say, let there be? How long does it take you to say, let there be? 300 million years for God to go, You forget that there, when, by the time you get to the t- you forgot what you started with. Well, maybe not God. He knows it all. This is God. God could have done, like, God could have, like, done the Macarena in the entire universe could have came out. He didn't, according to Scripture, but he could have. This is God. Do you really believe, do you really believe that? And we're like, well, I don't know. Because we have experts that wear glasses and smoke pipes and they look really smart and they have all these letters before and after the name. I'm like, I have a lot of letters in my name. It doesn't matter. In the end of it all, I believe this book. But wait a minute, do you really believe that this is where God put people and this is men and women and isn't that sexist? And what about those people that love those people? And what about this? And what about that? Isn't God against? No, God is for everyone. We just don't realize it. Well, we don't understand this about God. Well, you don't have to. So if you don't understand it, that means it must be false. How proud is that? 
I mean, in the simplest truth of it, Paul says, look, if really what this is about is that there's a problem because you don't like the word of God, that's okay with me because then I'm guilty. And it's interesting because in Matthew 13, 21, when Jesus talked about the seed that falls on the different soil types and how it gets scorched by the sun, he says, listen, when persecution arises, that's the metaphor for it, rises because of the word. That's where you're going to get hammered. And no one has a problem with you believing in Jesus until they realize you believe in the real one. You're like, well, if you just left in the sheep carrying warm, fuzzy, nobody goes to hell, Jesus, who's, you know, that's friends with Buddha and, and brothers with Satan or whatever. Sure, what's the big problem with that? I'm like, well, you know, that's really neat who you invented, but, you know, what is he? He's like the distant cousin of the Easter Bunny. In the end of it all, my God is God. He's Lord Almighty. He's God with us that took Satan down, hell down, sin down, laid them in the grave and said, you're done. And there was no argument. So if you really want to, if that's what you want to make an accusation on, that's totally fine with me. Could I do that? Could I have that kind of chutzpah? So how does this thing end? This is how it ends. Because I believe in the, the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Verse 22, when Felix heard these things, having a more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and says, well, this is not going to go anywhere, so I need to get to the commander. Remember, that was the commander. They said he's such a meanie that he stole Paul from us when we were just lovingly trying to give him a shoulder massage by pulling his shoulders off of his neck. But, but look at verse 23. Don't miss this. He commanded the centurion to keep Paul. Did you wonder? Do you wonder if that could be Cornelius? I mean, the Italian regiment is personally associated with the governor. I wonder. Could you imagine if he's like, hey, you, take care of me. He's like, all right. And he kind of grabs Paul and he's like, praise the Lord, brother. And he starts pulling him away. Could you imagine? You're like, whoa, this is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, this is really rough. Okay. I mean, imagine. He's like, yeah, well. And notice, and this is, listen, this is the, this is the governor and this is what he says. He says, and he told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for him or visit him. So by the way, whatever you do, don't, if his friends come, let them in. And if they bring him anything, let them bring it. Like what? A cake? A file? What? A cell phone? What do you think? Writing materials maybe? An ink and quill so he can write scripture? Don't stop him. You think, wow. Last point, and we'll wrap this up. Because here's the sort of part you can miss in all of this. And, I, and I, I, I'd love to stop here, but I can't. Matter of fact, I don't want to stop here. You might love me for it, but too bad. All right, so listen. Verse 24. Felix came in with Drusilla. Now, this is a little interesting because he's got two Drusillas. Let me tell you a quick little story. Once upon a time, there was a guy named Marcus Antonio Felix. That's this guy. He happens to be the Roman governor through about 58, 59, right where we're at here. He's got, literally has three wives, one at a time. First wife's name, Drusilla. Okay, that's good, of Maritania. She was actually the maternal second cousin of the emperor Claudius. But he divorced her in 54 for another girl whose name was Drusilla. <laughs> so that way he didn't have to change any of the towels. All right, the second girl... <laughs> Trisilla. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She was the daughter of King Agrippa I, which, by the way, then makes her the granddaughter, for what it's worth, 
Um, see if I can do this right. She's the granddaughter of, um, well, great-granddaughter of Herod the Great. Well, anyways, follow me on this. So she's this, this princess. She's this Judean princess who at age six was betrothed. That didn't mean she was going to get married at six. What that means is you know who your husband's going to be for the rest of, you know. You'll get married in your late teens, early 20s. But just the same. But it was on the stipulation that the guy became Jewish. Now, the guy probably, what he did is, he was probably 10 years older, so he was probably 16 or 18 at the time. His name, by the way, is Epiphanes. We probably waited to see what she would look like when she became a teenager. Somewhere around a teenager, he kind of looked and went, nah, not worth it, refuses to become Jewish. So as a result of that, the deal's off. One of her brothers then takes her and actually patrols her to another man. This other man actually really does seem to care, gets circumcised, and the two of them get married. But after that, shortly thereafter, she meets Felix. And at that point, Felix has got to have her. Oh, she's married. And remember, he was at that point, at that point too. But he's got to have her. So he hires an enchanter to do sort of the love spell. And there he goes. And he gets this. And apparently it worked. And he steals this girl from her husband. To basically leaves his wife for her. And he steals her from her husband so they can have this thing that's now this, this couple that we see here. Remember, she's Jewish. And listen... The two of them now call for Paul to have a private interview. So now think about this. So think about this. You've been arrested. You've been arrested. It's been now 12 days. They've beat you within inches of your life. You're like, when in the world am I going to be set free from this? You get to stand before the governor, which is, by the way, what God promised the guy who laid hands on you when you got your sight back, that you'd stand before Gentiles and governors and kings. Well, with all of that said, and the Jewish people, and, and with that, now here you are and you go, you got this private interview now with the governor and his wife. And so you have this, now, do you, do, you, do you sugarcoat it? Especially if you know what's going on, and we don't know if Paul does or not. But listen, it says in this that, it says, verse 24, after some days Felix came in with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. That's how I know it's the second one. By the way, she will end up dying in an eruption at Mount Vesuvius. So you know what it's worth. And then he'll get a third gal out. And that's in 79 AD. Now, with that in mind, during this time, and so she sent from him, now verse 25, he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Now, if you left your wife to steal another, woman's, another man's wife, and this guy tells you about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, which one of you thinks, what a great warm message that is? And notice it says, Felix became afraid, and he said, get away from me. I'll talk to you later. And you think, well, that didn't go so well. Then it says he called for him frequently. So do you think, wow, do I change my message? Do I talk about just love, the warm, cozy, whatever, the arms, the couching arms of love, love of Christ, but not about hell and about judgment? Well, we don't read that. What we read, and here's the sad part, please hear me, is that we're, somewhere down the line, if you were writing your mission letter out to people and you were in prison, because remember, your friends could bring you stuff, so they could bring you your laptop, and you're there, bring you a router, and you're like, guys, I think Felix is close. He keeps calling for me. Call for me with his wife. And I kind of, and I think it got really hit. The Holy Spirit kind of really nailed him. And he said, you need to go. And so I came back. But then he called for me again. And he called for me again. I, guys, you need to pray. I think Felix is going to get saved. But it says that he kept asking for him, hoping he'd get a bribe. And if you learned that, would you be crushed? Would you say, oh, I'm so gutted. Here I was thinking the guy could get saved. This whole thing's for nothing. Oh, listen. You don't speak to Felix without his bodyguards being there. There's an entire regiment of soldiers that are there 
which more than likely were under the employ of Cornelius. It's never for naught. God may have brought you to Felix to think you're going to preach to Felix, but everybody else that you didn't see because you were so busy looking at Felix, all of those people were hearing every time you shared about righteousness, about self-control, about the judgment to come. Righteousness means how to get right, which means he preached Jesus. It's never for naught. If you think, I've been sharing with that person, but they're just not responding, it's all for naught. Beloved, can I just tell you, it's not for naught. God knows what he's doing. He stuck you in that room. He brought you to those council. And you might be looking at one person, but the people you don't even see at the moment are hearing it. And sometimes you're going to stand before God and someone's going to go over and go, hey, can I introduce myself? I just want to thank you. I gave my life to Jesus because of you. And you, and, and you don't want to say it, but you probably might. And that's, who are you? And you're like, I, I was Felix's bodyguard. And you're like, I didn't know he had any bodyguards. There, he's like, there were 20 of us in the room. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was so busy thinking this was about Felix. Isn't God brilliant? Because listen, maybe, maybe you wouldn't have preached like that if it wasn't Felix. If you said you have a room of 20 soldiers, you might just be scared that they might stab you. But because it's Felix, maybe you go for it. And the point is, is that God knows how to stick you in the place where you dance it and you sing it and you proclaim it and you do it whatever way it is. You hand it out and it's with a latte or whatever it is. But in the end of it all, someone just heard about Jesus. And in that you think, well, that person didn't respond. What a waste of a day. And God goes, you have no idea who else was walking by when that happened. It is never, never, never for naught. Never. So here's how it ends. He had hoped he'd get money. One thing he learned sooner or later is that if you think money and ministry are synonymous, you got issues. And so with that, it says, after two years, Felix was done. And after that then, wanting to do Jews the favor, he left him with the next guy. And this is where we leave it, with a guy whose name is Porcius Festus. Festus. What does Festus mean? Like festive means happy. Porcius. His name means Happy pig. That's what his name means. So we leave this thing with Paul being left in the capable hooves of happy pig. Now, as we go to prayer, as we go to prayer, listen. We know we've gone in a few places with this, but I want to go back to our original thought, and that is that I believe tonight God wants to do something, and I believe that God is sick and tired of this church being fearful, intimidated, and feeling like they're overcome by the world around us, as if somehow he who is in the world is really greater than he who is in us. And can I just say, it's time to stop that. It's time to stop acting like we're drowning when we're called to be the lifeguards and acting like we're dead when we're actually the one who's supposed to be bringing people away from death. It's time for us to stop being unintentional, careless and haphazard and start actually being intentional about the lines that we draw. I do believe in the scripture and if you have a problem with it, it's not my problem. Call me what you want. You better take it up with the author, baby, because that's the one you're going to deal with when this is done. Now, the third is I want to be an initiator. I'm not going to wait for somebody to hand me something and go, okay, well, look at I didn't do anything because you didn't tell me to. Listen, God's telling you right now, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what God's telling you. 
Go into the world and make disciples of people. And if you feel like you don't know how to do all of that, go and invite. Because that's the other thing. Is at least invite them to a place like this where you know the gospel is going to be preached. And at least, and it's like people go, well, I don't know about that. And if they ask, who's Cain's wife? You could say, well, who cares? Do you want to come to church or not? I mean, the bottom line is, who cares who Cain's wife is? The bottom line is, we don't really that you ever got divorced, so you're not going to get her anyways. So there you go. I mean, so the reason I say that is, is you don't have to answer every question to invite someone. People don't do that when they're having a party. And they'll say, you know what? Well, let me ask you. Is it German beer in the keg? Is it 4.6 or 4.8% alcohol? They're like, shut up. We've got six kegs. Are you coming or not? I mean, that's where it is. Oi, oi, oi. I mean, and the reason I say that is, is that the rest of the world knows to play that game and somehow we're still busy dancing around ourselves instead of moving forward like we should. God is calling us to be something so much more intentional, beloved. And as we pray, I want to pray for those of us who have called Jesus our Lord and Savior, that we would actually get the stuff on our nose, put that red shirt on, and and just get off of our perch and realize that you're not the only lifeguard either. But you may be the only lifeguard that person's ever going to meet. Oh, be it. Be it, friends. We pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your beautiful word. What a glorious word you've given us. I thank you, Lord, that some guy that's named Triply Harden wants to accuse Paul by things that are almost a compliment. And it really, Lord, I, I think of how many times somebody really compliments us with an insult. Because <laughs> they'd say we're closed-minded. And I know the bottom line is closed-minded mean, really means that our mind is made up. And Lord, there are, every human being needs to have their mind made up about certain things, like whether they're living or dead. And there are certain areas, Lord, where we're just not sort of, you don't get sort of pregnant. You either are or you aren't. You're not sort of married. And Lord, I just pray tonight that we'd stop thinking we could be sort of Christians. We could stop thinking tonight that somehow we're just kind of being We could just sort of float so we're not really drowning, but we're certainly not reaching out either. God, tonight I just pray for every person in here, myself included. You know I'm not exempt to any of these exhortations. Lord, I pray tonight that we would be so infected with your joy and your love and your peace that we would be igniting each other, fanning them to a massive flame. As I've learned that flames tend to be a bit contagious as long as there's fuel. And Lord, in that then, please, make us people who are intentional about where we go and what we do. Lord, that are really initiating, even if we are like, well, that person may not like me if I do that. Well, Lord, let us care less about that and more about them. And then we could be the inviters you call us to be. But Lord, tonight, if there be any who have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, maybe they're still trying to do good things, and they've, they've, they're, they're, they, they don't even know where they are with you because they, they haven't really grabbed a hold of your word, and they're kind of going by their feelings. 
or by what other people might say, but they're really just not going, okay, if this is what your word says, it's just truth and it's black and white, you're either here or here, and the gift of Jesus is what sits between it. And Lord, tonight I just pray that you would confirm that by your Holy Spirit. And look, at tonight, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, if tonight you don't know if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, well, then you can walk out of here, sure, because I'm going to pray right now and you're welcome to join me. And so as I pray this prayer, I ask for you at the end, if you agree, I ask for you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. And here it is. God, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I've done wrong. I've thought wrong. I've intended wrong. And you, therefore, hold me liable for those actions, for those intentions. But yet, you so love me that you sent your perfect Son, your only begotten, to die on a cross so that all of my sin and the sin of every human being could be paid for. And they were paid for in full as you died. And then as you rose again, you proved that the sacrifice was full and accepted. So, If you're really willing to pay for all my guilt, I'd be a fool to say no. So I say yes. Jesus, please, let me cash in on that kindness, confessing you as my ransom, my Savior, and my Lord. I'm yours. Have me now, I pray. I belong to you. You have a right to steer my life, reinvent it, determine it, move me, lead me, And now I pray, infect me with you so greatly so that the entire world will be affected and infected because of what you do in, to, and through me. As I'm yours, I'm your conduit and your child. Father, I surrender myself to you in Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.